I would recommend going and ordering the beautiful Complete Calvin and Hobbes collection by going to Am- Amazon, no, Protag- which one is it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Yes, okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. This week we're talking about Calvin and Hobbes from the classic newspaper comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Joseph? Uh, Todd, it's, it's been an adventure the last few days. My wife. <laughs> Do you like to share with the world <laughs> so the good wife, news? My wife gave birth to a, to a child. I have a new son. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. A uh, little bit of stress where uh, just his respiration rate wasn't what they wanted, so he got hooked up to the NICU. Like, it wasn't, he wasn't in, like, full needing the NICU, but they wanted to boost his lung capacity. But so I saw my newborn son, like, hooked up to, every, uh, you know, all the wires and tubes yep. and everything, which is scary. Even if, like, the doctors are there saying, this isn't as serious as it looks <laughs> right yeah. there, it's still uh, a scary moment. And then, I've been there, man. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. Uh, and then, so they told us we'd get out much earlier today from the hospital. So I said, we can go ahead and record tonight, guys, because somehow our bank of pre-recorded episodes that we were building up had a gap <laughs> that we needed to fill with Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. They're going to let us out of the hospital at five, they said. Oh, we did not get out at five. <laughs> It yeah, turns out I could <laughs> discharging. Could take I could a have lot told longer. you that was not going to happen. <laughs> and then, uh, right as we get into the house with our newborn son and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take a little bit of time, settle my wife and my son down. And then I'm going to go down and record. My oldest daughter came upstairs and promptly threw up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just adding one more ounce of adventure to this recording. But you know what, listeners, this is how dedicated I am to the protagonist podcast. I'm still here recording right now. A little bit tired, a little bit of stress, but we're going to power through. Calvin Hobbes is always good to talk about, to relieve stress. And he's also, this is an exciting enough topic that the adrenaline is going to flow, and we're going to have a good discussion. Nothing nothing gets the adrenaline flowing like little Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, well, also it's and like coming home with a said newborn. nobody said nobody ever <laughs> yeah. probably in the history of the universe. I'll be honest, Todd. When I was like, I got home and I'm like, okay, gonna get the family settled and then run down. And my daughter came up and threw up. I had the moment flash in my mind of the episode of The West Wing when um, he's talking about the debate and how he needs a moment of panic to get the adrenaline going before a debate, and his wife cuts off uh-huh. his tie and he has to grab a tie from a from one of his <laughs> staff and throw it on as he's walking out onto the debate stage. I'm like, this is my tie moment for this podcast. This is going to be the best nice. podcast ever because the adrenaline's okay. going to be going. Uh, as we discussed how to do Calvin and Hobbes, we decided to just go through um, various kind of strips of this. And, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to defer to your expertise on, uh, how you want to go through these. I, I did all of my reading assignment. <laughs> so uh, there were a couple of them that I could not find. Yes. Uh, so. as I was going through, well, we'll talk about this. Um, but it's hard to say we're going to talk about Calvin and Hobbes and a great character and a great story and like choose a Calvin and Hobbes story that will fill up our hour of discussion. So what we've got is going to be um, several of the kind of multi-week storylines that appeared in the comic strip, but they're going to be coming from across most of the decade run that the strip had. And 
as should be noted, all of these were written and drawn by Bill Watterson. And the uh, the strip ran from November 18th, 1995 through December 30, or 1985 through December 31st, 1995. So within that 10-year or so period, there's uh, this classic run of Calvin and Hobbes. And, and whenever we're about to start a new section, we'll talk about the dates that these strips appeared. Okay. So just to give a quick uh, spoiler-free synopsis, in case anybody doesn't know what Calvin and Hobbes is, it's it's a comic strip. It was uh, syndicated in newspapers and became very, very widespread. Uh, and it's a story of a little boy named Calvin. I believe he's supposed to be six years old. Is that right? Yes. And he has a stuffed uh, toy tiger that's called Hobbes. And when we see the world through Calvin's point of view uh hobbs is a living tiger and that talks uh, and it's very yeah i think like a tigger (laughs) yes and uh and when any we when we see the world through anybody else's eyes he just looks like a stuffed tiger and they have all kinds of crazy madcap adventures calvin has a, a huge imagination uh he's really really smart and but he's also so, a troublemaking six-year-old yes it's kind of like um, there's something of Dennis the Menace in this. There's something of uh, like existential philosophy in this. From Peanuts. <laughs> there's some Peanuts in it. There's some Mafalda in this. There's some so, Pogo, uh, if you've ever read Walt Kelly's Pogo. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's delightful. There's a reason why it was so successful. Yes. So if that sounds interesting to you... Uh, how can our listeners find Calvin and Hobbes today? I would recommend that our listeners go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon and order the beautiful, complete Calvin and Hobbes, which collects every single Calvin and Hobbes comic strip minus one. <laughs> There's one single comic strip that you won't find in that collection. Why? It uh, was one that ended up getting run in half of the country and not the other half. And it seems like they meant to remove it from all of the country. It like, there's nothing super offensive about the joke. It just has a joke where, uh, Calvin watches Hobbes get put in the washing machine by his mom. And, and he's a little jealous of Hobbes getting a bath in the washing machine. And Calvin starts to take off his clothes to climb into the washing machine. And obviously that's extremely dangerous. So they, <laughs> they nixed it. That's uh, someone in the process nixed it and said, this should not run. Uh, and, but somehow it got run in part of the country and not the other part. So people who were clipping Calvin and Hobbes, some of them have this obscure comic that was never reprinted in any collection. Interesting. And it was from its very first set of I mean, monthly. He does, was... he does do some other fairly dangerous things. Yes. And we'll talk about a few of those, but that was, <laughs> I think it's like on a different level than like just mischievous childhood. As yeah, far as... I'm, just, I'm just remembering the line when he says, when they're getting ready to sled, and he says something about the brakes, and Calvin says, running into the tree is my brakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's one where he's going down the hill in his, his roller skates, and he yells, how do I stop? And Hobbs says, steer into the gravel driveway and fall down. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we jump into uh, the the trivia, which I'm sure you'll have plenty of, Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you're going old school, your MP3 player. Todd, how did you first come to Calvin and Hobbes? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just remember... 
so we used to get a big newspaper in my house when I was growing up. And when I would get the news, my dad and I would have like a little competition in the morning. Um, and whoever got the newspaper first would always take the sports page. Uh, if I didn't get the sports page, I would usually go, if it was a Friday, I would grab the weekend section. Uh, if not, then I would grab the comics section uh, and read through the comics. And I read some Calvin and Hobbes there. Um, I've never read it all the way through and never paid much attention to it until today. It's, that's a very shocking confession, Todd. Why? <laughs> Who hasn't read the whole thing through? I mean, come on. We're Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's uh, it's it's a huge hole in my cultural uh, knowledge. Well, no argument for me. Filled today. <laughs> uh, I remember doing the same thing, reading it in the newspaper, and I also have a memory of when I first got a paper out that has. After I got my first, you know, paper bat, or paper out kind of paycheck, and I went to the the bookstore with my family one time. We were just stopping there, and I found a Calvin and Hobbes collection. I was like, I can afford this, <laughs> and that was my purchase that day. And that was a very dog-eared copy of Calvin and Hobbes by Wow, the end of my adolescence. Yeah, so kids, there used to be these things called newspapers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where you could find things like comic strips, and you could get paid for delivering them. Both of those are irrelevant to that discussion. And there were things <laughs> called bookstores. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sports pages, and yes, a weekend section that talked about <laughs> movies that had come out that week. Yeah, it was amazing. You, you would never have seen the trailers for those movies. <laughs> uh-uh. No, good times. Yeah, it was amazing. Way back in the 1980s. Yes. All right. Some <laughs> trivia about Calvin and Hobbes. Todd, I assume you're familiar with who, whom these characters are named after. Yes. That it would be uh, Thomas Hobbes and John Calvin. Yes. Uh, so just kind of some of the philosophical underpinnings already showing up in the names there. And um, I already said this, this newspaper ran for about a decade, but there is a few odd quirks about this um and something that was very uncommon for syndicated newspapers uh comic strips watterson took two long breaks during his time working on calvin and Hobbes. one went from may 5th 1991 to february 1st 1992 and really? the, uh, yeah the other one was from april 3rd to december 31st 1994 uh and like as a comparison charles schultz produced a new strip for every day of his entire career from october 2nd 1950 to february 13th 2000 like there was never a rerun of a peanuts wow. comic strip, but there were in, in the decade of Calvin and Hobbes, there were two long breaks. Um, and some of that is, uh, Watterson as Calvin and Hobbes became much more popular. Um, he was very much a champion of the art form of the comic strip and also of artists rights and of the idea that, uh, the artist has produced this product for this form and it doesn't need to be produced in other forms. So he's famously very much against merchandising Calvin and Hobbes or producing animated versions of Calvin and Hobbes, despite the whole world wanting those things. <laughs> and many of those things being produced in bootleg versions or for animation projects. Every It seems like every year I see a new Calvin and Hobbes animation that is someone's senior project at college that starts about, floating through the how, how would he have felt about... Um... Uh, like a like a trade version, uh, you know, like a compilation of all of the Calvin and Hobbes. Is he okay with that? He's fine with that because it's still being read in comic strip form. He just okay. doesn't want it transformed into another art form than the one that he's produced. And 
his initial contract when he first got syndicated basically said that Universal Syndicate, the, the press that he was being syndicated through, could do anything they wanted. <laughs> like, they could do the merchandising, they could uh, license out for TV specials or for film, and even if he quit working, they could get another artist to fill in on Calvin wow. Hobbes and just keep it going. And he did a very long fight to renegotiate his contract and essentially give him full control. And it was popular enough and he kind of had enough sway that, uh, he eventually got that contract. And that's why we've never had any of those merchandising or, you know, film mm-hmm. versions. But, uh, one of those long breaks came right after that, where he said he was just completely worn out <laughs> and worn down by life and negotiating and, uh, this kind of battle with his syndicate. Was part of his new contract um, all the the stickers that we see in the back windows of pickup trucks? Every single one of those is a bootleg. <laughs> it's never licensed <laughs> a single thing. So any Calvin House product that you see is technically, uh, you know, illegally being produced. <laughs> and, um and and that's like a famous part of Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, and also like Bill Watterson has kind of a reputation in the comic industry for being kind of an ornery <laughs> um, guy who clings to certain ways. And he's in, in some of his uh, before he became a complete rec- recluse, <laughs> which he's kind of done since he retired. Uh, he gave some speeches at like uh, some conferences for comic strip artists that kind of bashed some people in the room and their business practices for, you know, there's a lot of comic strips like Garfield and Peanuts that have, you know, done huge licensing deals and massive yeah. amounts of adaptations. And he kind of bashed those ideas and was championing, 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 uh, again, the, the art of the comic strip. Huh. And, um, he did, so, like, there's a whole book called In Search of Calvin and Hobbes, which is about one man, like, talking about the significance of Calvin and Hobbes in his life and in terms of art, but also he, like the book is framed around his quest to get an interview with Bill Watterson <laughs> and the book ends without him getting that interview because wow. Bill Watterson doesn't do interviews. Uh, but then, uh, in 2013, I think it was, uh, Wired magazine released one interview with him. They, they somehow got an interview and it's basically like one of only two or three interviews that have been done with him since he retired. Interesting. But in that he was asked about like, are you ever going to return to Calvin and Hobbes in any form? You know, be it releasing a new, collection of original comic, uh, comic strips, you know, in book form or doing anything. And he said, repetition is the death of magic. Like if you go back and try and revisit and recapture something that you've done before, <laughs> there's no way it will be what it was. And in order to keep progressing, you've got to keep doing new things. And when he retired, um, he kind of said, I think if I kept going, I would just be drawing from the same well of comedy and I wouldn't be able to do new things. So that's why I need to stop now. Um, I think it's clear that uh, Disney never got that message. Uh, Marvel, <laughs> Marvel Comics never got that message. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, I, 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 a lot of our entertainment industry does not believe in that philosophy. Yeah. Uh, even uh, like to a degree, like um, Pixar was famous for you know doing all originals, and they've had obviously a recent slate of uh, sequels, and I think their less their next three films, or counting Finding Dory, the, and then like two or three more after that are all going to be sequels. Uh, though the head of Pixar said after that, we're taking a break from sequels because we think it's important to keep making new things yeah, and not just trying to recapture, uh, the magic. And again, that, that Watterson quote, repetition is the death of magic. It seems, uh, a lot of our current popular culture is either ignoring that or is kind of like riding this tension with that. <laughs> it's certainly, it's certainly not the death of money. No, <laughs> certainly not. Awesome. All well, right. 
Well, listeners, please don't forget to take advantage of some great deals from Amazon. You can go do that by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals or by making any purchases uh, through Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. When you do that, it looks like a normal Amazon homepage, but any purchases that you make, it makes no difference in the cost to you, no difference in the cost to you, but it gives a little bit of that money to us and it just helps us out with hosting fees and other costs of doing this podcast. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to just dive into this uh, like story by story here? Yeah, I think so. Um, the way these are organized, we're kind of going to go through chronologically of the, some of the stories that we picked out. I, these stories were picked out by me pulling out my complete Kevin Hobbs and flipping through and saying, I remember that one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and uh, just just giving the dates of those issue or those comic strips to Todd and we, we've both read them and uh, I will do a quick summary and then we'll talk a little bit about anything that stood out in those. Sometimes we may have five minutes of discussion. Sometimes we might have 30 minutes of dis- or 30 seconds of discussion. We'll see. Okay. All right. So the first storyline involves Calvin finding a wounded raccoon and is from March 9th through the 18th in 1987. Calvin and Hobbs find a wounded baby raccoon and Calvin leaves, uh, leaves Hobbs to watch it while he runs to get his mom because you don't get to be mom if you can't fix everything just right. That's what Calvin says. Uh, they, uh, Calvin and his mom take the raccoon home in a shoebox and Calvin and Hobbs have some philosophical discussions about life and meaning. And when Calvin asks his dad in the morning if he checked on the raccoon, Calvin's dad says that the raccoon died in the night, but they did all that they could. And then there's some more rambling pontific- uh, pontifications about life, death, meaning, and happiness uh, between Calvin and Hobbs. Nice. I thought this was sweet. It, I, it surprised me to see because i'm used to thinking about calvin as this like mischievous mischievous uh troublemaker and it was it was nice to see him as like a sad confused little boy yeah dealing with some big issues which um of newspaper comic strips i'd say the only one that really uh has the reputation for that is peanuts um, for, for dealing with some philo- philosophical issues. Also, like I said, Walt Kelly's Pogo definitely, uh, did that as well, mm-hmm. but that one's not as well known, uh, today. But I think Alvin Hobbes successfully does dig into, um, issues that kids might be thinking about, you know, kids who are reading the comic strips, but also that adults who are reading the comic strips can, uh, appreciate some of the, the storytelling that's happening there. Mm-hmm. And as I read this, um, I was thinking more about like the form of the comic strip than I have previously. And it is amazing to me that Watterson could tell, you know, even this story that lasts what, like three weeks, I think, or two weeks. <laughs> and, but, but you get four panels for each chapter and you have to then reset the story again the next day in four panels. <laughs> so, in, mm-hmm. in, in so, and you have to kind of, I think he has an eye both for the newspaper reader that is going to be reading one of these every morning, you know, while eating breakfast. And mm-hmm. also it seems that he had an eye for knowing that this was eventually going to be co- collected. Cause the way that he resets it, it's not like a repetitive explaining everything, but it gives right. you that context that if someone was picking up the newspaper and hadn't read the, the last three, you know, chapters in this story mm-hmm. in those four panels, they, they know what's happening. Yeah. It doesn't have to say previously on Calvin and Hobbes. And then like, there's no time for that. Yeah. So it's really concise storytelling. But it, it flows, uh, reading it in this collected, uh, collection, mm-hmm. and I think it absolutely would have reading it, you know, one little bit per day. Yeah. You don't feel like you're, you ha- you're having to repeat yourself every, every four panels. And not only is it, you know, having to do that reset, but you've got to get a joke in, in four, 
four panels every single, every single day has to have a setup and a joke, even when that joke might be not like laugh out loud funny, but kind of like uh, an observation about life that you kind of chuckle mm-hmm. even as you see the sadness that lies behind it. So some of these jokes that are ending um, these panels are the, you know, you, you can't get, you don't get to be mom if you can't fix everything just right, which you laugh at because that is the worldview of a six-year-old and you see that, but also you see the disconnect between what reality is where sometimes parents are as lost about things, like how do you yeah. help a baby squirrel that's wounded and you know is going to die. Um, yeah, we'll see that come back later. And, or, uh, some of the other jokes, uh, like Cal- uh, Calvin's mom sends, um, him back to get a shoebox. And <laughs> the, the last joke is her sitting down and talking to Hobbs and then realizing she's talking to a stuffed tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I love the mom. And that's another thing that I did not remember at all from reading these when I was a kid is the mom and how, and the dad both like, you can see that Calvin gets his, both his intelligence and his kind of spunk from his parents because they're both, they're both really cool. I mean, I really liked his mom and his dad, but I think especially his mom as a characters, um, they were, they were awesome and felt like real characters. I think is it in peanuts that when the adults talk, it's just like, wah, 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 wah. And, and you don't, yeah, you don't ever I, see them. Mm hmm. And this was, it was cool to see the mom and, and see the mom and the dad kind of go through, you know, have their own sort of journey of parenting and, um, to be able to, to see their thoughts and, uh, be privy to their conversations. I really liked that. And it was something that I had not remembered from when I was a kid. Yeah. And, um, like we said, there's some actual kind of deep <laughs> issues that are being here. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I said before, or at the beginning of the, of the podcast, like I just had a baby and I saw him in the NICU. And even though like I, I knew what the doctors were telling me that he was in no danger, you can't help but imagine the worst case scenarios when you're seeing yeah. uh, a child in that. And I, I had just read this like the morning before my son was born trying to get, um, ready for this podcast I knew we were going to be recording. And the line where he says, like, I pictured this panel in my head where he says, I didn't even know he existed a few days ago and now he's gone forever. It's like, I found him for no re- uh, for no reason. I had to say goodbye. As soon as I said hello, still in a sad, awful, terrible way. I'm happy. I met him. Like yeah. I knew I wasn't likely to be saying goodbye to myself, but, but that the, you know, that idea of like, I'm glad I met him and like, it's heavy. That's a heavy concept to be yeah. having a comic strip. And I'm sure 100% sure it hit me differently and more because of the context of reading it just as my wife was, you know, about to be giving birth. Uh, and then the experience I had after, which is one of those things that we've talked about before, that the context of when you read a story is going to change what hits you about a story. And this storyline hit me differently today than if I'd read it at any other point in my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I um, I had a similar experience when my, our first child was born. And you're just, you're just so, like... I don't know. We were so excited to have a baby and I had all these ideas about what it was going to be like to be a dad. And then he was born and he was super sick and he had to spend 10 days in the NICU and he was in a coma for a lot of that time. And like, I just remember sitting up at night thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? This is not, this is not anything like what I thought having a baby was going to be like. Just like from from second one of him being born being terrified and feeling completely out of my league and out of my depth and i think we get um 
we get some of that from the parents here. We get this, what you were talking about earlier, like even Calvin, little Calvin, you know, trying to come to grips with, with mortality and, and the, the fleeting nature of mortality. This thing that he says at the very end, um, he's crying. And when he cries, he really does like the whole full chibi, like my mouth is all the way open and my tongue, like my three-year-old does. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says, the dad says, um, I'm sorry, kiddo, but he didn't have much of a chance. At least he died warm and safe, Calvin. We did all we could, but now he's gone. And Calvin says, sniff. I know I'm crying because out there he's gone, but not, but he's not gone inside me. And I went, man, I just, I read that probably 10 times as I was going through it and thinking, my goodness, that's a really, (laughs) (laughs) it's a really, um, there's stuff there to think about for a long, long time. All right. So Todd, earlier I had mentioned a book. I think I called it Searching for Calvin and Hobbes. I just grabbed my copy. It's called Looking for Calvin and Hobbes, The Unconventional Story of Bill Watterson and His Revolutionary Comic Strip. And that one's by Nevin Martell. But I also have another book called Imagination and Meaning in Calvin and Hobbes by Jamie Haidt. And in that, um, he says that Calvin and Hobbes enables an imaginative search for meaning that is unique in the space it occupies. Calvin embodies many of life's challenges and the capacity in which he seeks to understand these occurrences provides a space where readers can similarly reflect upon how particular experiences from their lives or perhaps life in general clarify, enhance, or frustrate meaning. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at with this first storyline. Which, listeners, I'm sorry, if you came for the zany Calvin and Hobbes, that's coming. Don't worry. This is just a heavy storyline that started it all. Um, but uh, he also said, uh, height, that one of the major themes of Calvin and Hobbes is that life is difficult because it often unfolds in a way contrary to what we expect. And I think absolutely we're seeing this for Calvin and his mom and his dad in this first little storyline. I have to, I know, <laughs> it's funny because we're like, there's no way we could t- we could just spend a whole podcast on one little storyline, and this is I mean really this is like three pages of story. Um, but the other the other part that just killed me on this raccoon story is when um, after Calvin realizes that the raccoon is dead and he's kind of processing things with um, with Hobbes, and he says. Uh, He's talking about his his mom. It, it, mom says death is natural as birth, and it's all part of the life cycle. She says we don't really understand it, but there are many things we don't understand, and we just have to do the best we can with the knowledge we have. Uh, I guess that makes sense. And then he, he gives Hobbes a big hug, and he says, but don't you go anywhere. And inside of me, I'm like, oh, he, <laughs> he will grow up, you know? <laughs> like, Hobbes will not always be there, and he doesn't know that. And I do, and it makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, I think, like, when I think back on Calvin and Hobbes, I remember, like, the crazy imaginative stories. But when I was flipping through uh, and, you know, finding stories for us to discuss, um, I was surprised how many of them I was like, there's kind of a, a somber underbelly uh-huh. <laughs> uh, to this Um to, to this beautiful, like, the, the drawing is beautiful. The imagination that's in so many of these panels is amazing. But there is... Um, I, I wouldn't say it's quite as fatalistic as some of the Peanuts comic strips. I mean, Charlie Brown <laughs> can be a bit of a downer <laughs> at times, but but really? it's definitely an undercurrent that's present in so many of uh, these strips. I and love it's, also it's how expressive how expressive Calvin is and Hobbes. Yeah, but I mean, it's just two little dots in a line, and 
we get so much more expression and emotion than we get out of, you know, multi-million dollar blockbusters. I mean, <laughs> it's, I just love storytelling that can, that can make me feel something about essentially nothing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next storyline is March 23rd through April 3rd of 1987. And this is the first transmogrifier story. This is the transmogrifier is a device that will come up several times during the run of Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, Calvin introduces Hobbes to his transmogrifier, a cardboard box that is turned upside down with the word transmogrifier scribbled on it. The box <laughs> can turn you into anything you want to be. Hobbes doesn't want to change, so Calvin goes under the box and turns himself into a tiger. Calvin, who sees himself as a tiger, is baffled that his mom and dad are taking his transmogrification so well. <laughs> Which, this story like kind of gets to the... It's like another layer on the whole conceit of this series. You know, that, that whenever yes. Calvin is with Hobbes, Hobbes is a living, breathing, talking tiger. And whenever we see things from his parents' point of view, it's just a stuffed animal that's sitting next to their son, uh-huh. Calvin. Uh, and this, like, just adds in this element that we see Calvin as this little short tiger. <laughs> so it's like Hobbes, but in half, because Hobbes is always t- taller than Calvin. Uh, but whenever he goes in, to talk to his mom and dad, it's Calvin, but his word balloons say that he's a tiger. And then there's always like one panel in the strip that reminds us that he's a tiger in his mind, in his imagination mm-hmm. right now. I love, um, just the nostalgia of <laughs> what we talked earlier about newspapers, but the nostalgia of the, of the cardboard box. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it makes me want to go out and just buy something big with a big cardboard box so that my kids can play on. <laughs> so I have a largest cardboard box that, over, well over a year ago at least, my daughter um, labeled it as a time machine, <laughs> and she like drew a dial with some numbers on it, and she had me write down some rules for it. So like, don't open the door when you're in the time stream, or you'll fall out. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and and like she was telling me these rules, and one of the other rules was don't set the timer on the time machine if you're not inside, or it will disappear and you won't find it again unless you build <laughs> another time machine to go get it. <laughs> like, Are these rules that she came up with? Yeah, she was dictating these rules to me. Oh my gosh! Um, but she played with it a lot then, and then it got put in the garage. And periodically, like, she'll go out and she'll see it and say, like, bring, get, get me the box. And now, like, just last week, it got brought into the house again. And my seven-year-old and my four-year-old and my two-year-old were, like, fighting over getting into the box. And wow. they were squishing all three of them into the box at <laughs> times and coming out. And my, and my oldest daughter was the one, like, telling my other kids, like, where they were going in time. But it's just a box with some words scribbled on the side of it and it entertained them for hours. And it that's something magical to childhood, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's it's fantastic, and I, I mean, we've I think we've discussed this before, but I I don't know if it's my own fault or somebody else's, or if it's just nobody's fault and it's fine because all kids are different. But my kids are not that imaginative, and um, they they don't like get cardboard boxes and turn them into amazing. You know, like my brothers and I, we would build forts out of cardboard boxes and we would make submarines and we would do all kinds of build cars and all kinds of stuff. And, um, my kids just aren't into that. And I wonder, I don't, I don't know why that is, but it makes me want to go get a cardboard box and say, kids, (laughs) this is a time machine (laughs) or this is a transmogrifier. Uh, let them read some Calvin and Hobbes and it may come to them. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, like kind of like, I have no idea what, 
you know, what inspires that and why it like comes in waves with that same cardboard box. Like if it's in the house, you know, for too long, they completely forget yeah. about it and it's not a thing. I've got to like stick it in the garage and I have to forget it's there. And then they've got to like spy it and say, bring that in. And then they have fun <laughs> with it and then they'll stop playing with it eventually. Uh, huh. all right. Uh, any other thoughts on that one? All right, next comic strip that we're doing is May 11th to May 23rd in 1987, and this is Calvin's haircut, where Hobbs gives Calvin a haircut, which when you start to imagine what his parents would see if they walked in, is Calvin just snipping his own hair? I mean, that's got to be what it is, but it's kind of fun to imagine, because in the view that we're given, it's Hobbs walking all around Calvin with scissors and giving him a haircut. Uh Uh, But this haircut is so bad that Calvin puts on a fedora to cover it up, and Calvin imagines he is a film noir detective named I Tracer Bullets with all of the overwrought monologuing that is associated <laughs> with that genre. And then uh, after his parents make him stop wearing the hat, he tries coloring his head with a yellow <laughs> magic marker to get his hair back. <laughs> and uh, in the magic of this kind of storytelling, the next strip uh, after this storyline is done starts and he's got his hair back. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is the best. I love the the noir stuff. I think it's my favorite of all of the storylines. The the noir ones had me laughing. I think the hardest. So, because uh, it's a genre that I love so much. Yes, and oh, uh, this, it needs to be acknowledged that this is only a Bill Watterson. He loved comic art and like the history of comic strips, and he is like doing homages pretty frequently to other styles of comic art than just mm-hmm. the cartoony kid. Um, and so we have this film noir style, which there used to be a lot more kind of Dick Tracy um, type comics and this is an homage to that he has spaceman spiff which is an homage to kind of the buck rogers style or the sci-fi comics which were very popular particularly in the 1950s and even occasionally he will do um like some soap opera styles like he just is willing to embrace so many different styles and when he does stupendous man sometimes he'll do like single panels that are like classic jack kirby style Uh superhero comic art with all the lines in behind and then the next panel is back to normal calvin running around so he seems to really embrace a lot of the history of um, comic strip as an art form and, and tries to play with it within the constraints of what the, uh, the newspaper comic strip is today. Uh, cause I mean, a lot of the ones like Buck Rogers with Spaceman Smith and those styles, like they'd have whole pages to be able to tell a story and, you know, a dozen plus panels. And now he's constrained to four panels during the week and, you know, two grid lines worth, uh, on the weekend. I, um, I, the thing that I think the thing that I love about this, the noir stuff especially, but all of the... When he goes into these other characters, Spaceman Spiff and Mr... What's his name? Mr. Stupendous? Stupendous Man. Stupendous Man. <laughs> is the way that... Um, that Watterson... Uh, shifts point of view and allows us to see... Um, so when it's noir, it looks totally noir, right? And he's got his feet up on the desk. And he's got and the, so much black on the panel. Like, so much the more blinds, black than any yes, other. Yes, and the blind, like, the classic <laughs> blinds, uh, the pattern of the of the light shining through the blinds on his face, which is a classic noir thing, and it's full of all kinds of um, s- symbolic uh, meaning. And then he'll say, suddenly, my door swung open, and in walked trouble, uh, brunette as usual. And then it says mom and she's got dinner and they're sitting at the table and she says, take your hat off at the dinner table, Calvin. It's not polite. <laughs> and and then, and then we get Calvin again and he says, she was a pushy dame, but she had a case. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that he, the way that he flips back through that, I just think it's magical. Um, and, and really allows us to see the world through his eyes. But also again, I think um, doesn't, 
doesn't let us forget that there is a mom here and that she also has a point of view. And I, I think it's part of what made it really delightful for me reading, reading it this time was to see both of those. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes strips, and I don't know what date it was on and I didn't pull it up for this one, but it has four panels of Calvin and Hobbes looking at each other with word balloons above their heads and literally nothing changes in each of the four panels. It's the exact same image. Uh Um, but Calvin is saying to Hobbes, like my grandpa talks about how the funny pages used to be (laughs) that, you know, they had all this art and Hobbes is like, that's interesting. And Calvin says, yeah, he says that you used to see all kinds of experimentation. Uh, and it was just beautiful and you could get lost in reading them. And Hobbes is like, Oh wow. Really? And then like third panel is like, uh, you know, he, he just goes on a little bit more about what his grandpa says about the funny pages. And then Hobbes says, your grandpa takes the funny pages really seriously. And then at, in the last panel is Calvin saying, yeah, mom's looking into homes, <laughs> <laughs> but like you got the two layers of jokes that are happening of the way the yes. comic is today versus what, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to honor in and that he does honor with these imagination runs of Calvin becoming tracer bullet and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, the next storyline that we have is from August 10th to August 20th, 1987. This is the camping trip, the first of a few camping trips that Calvin goes on in this, in his run. But in a move that sounds suspiciously, suspiciously like an effort to build Calvin's character, the family goes camping. Calvin's dad is ecstatic about the outdoors, his mom less so, especially when comically large amounts of rain fall all (laughs) week. In the end, after a week of rain, just as they're packing up the tents, the rain stops, which causes Calvin and Hobbes to have this conversation. Hey, did you know any of Dad's word? What any of Dad's words meant? No, but I wrote them down so we can look them up when we get home. <laughs> because his dad, you just his see him smack his swearing. face. <laughs> yeah, you got you cut from the panel of his dad smacking his face and raising a fist to the sky to that conversation of what did Dad's words mean? Yeah. Um. Again, I th- I thought that the most interesting thing about this was the mom and the dad, the relationship between the mom and the dad, and he's so happy, and she's so frustrated, and again, it's just it's so few lines uh, to create so much emotion, but those are such recognizable emotions. And when she when she says, "Calvin, tell your dad any judge would take this trip as grounds for divorce," <laughs> and then Calvin starts, "Dad, mom says," and dad's like, "All right, all right." But ah, it's just, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's just such great storytelling. And, uh, again, I think this is another one of those kind of examples of what Jamie Height mentioned in imagination and meaning in Calvin and Hobbes. Like this is, you make certain plans in life and they don't work out. (laughs) Like life can be a series of frustrations and disappointments, whether it be for Calvin and, you know, all of his grand schemes or what, how he sees the world versus how the world really is or his parents. Yeah. Is it? I think this is a story that you that we don't have on our reading list, but it's at the very. I think it's towards the very end, um, and Calvin says, "How does it go?" You'll help, I'm sure you'll remember this. He says, "I I know that I'm supposed to to do good in school, or like my like my short my short term self says I want to go outside sledding." And then my my long-term self says, I need to go to school so that I can get a job and get money. But my even longer-term self knows that this memory is worth way more than anything I would get out of school. <laughs> and so they go sledding. And and I think there's also something about, in Calvin and Hobbes and, and in this, this camping story, um, there is something of nostalgia in this, right? Like this, uh, if uh, nostalgia is a Greek word, it means... Um, so nostos is, is like return, right? So it's this de- desire to return 
to something that you had before. And there was a lot of nostalgia for me <laughs> in reading this um, and remembering being a kid and getting out the paper and reading it in the paper, but also remembering, you know, my own imaginative play when I was a kid, I remember seeing my parents interact when I was a kid and not quite understanding what was going on between them, but having a sense of it. Um, remembering just like the, the, the physical nature of being a kid and remembering cold and hot and rainy. And I, I remember, um, camping, uh, we were on a camping trip in, uh, Mesa Verde in Southern Utah, Four Corners area. And there was this incredible lightning storm. And my dad wanted to go out and see these ruins. And my mom was like, you are crazy to go out in this storm. And I was like, I want to go. I want to go. So my dad and I ran on this trail in this pouring, pouring rain with lightning, you know, striking all around us so that we could go poke our heads over a cliff, say that we say that we saw these ruins and then run back. And when we were running back, this clap of thunder just like put all the, the hair on the, on my neck stood up and we got back in the car. And I thought that was the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) And it was such a, it was just such a, like a, like a visceral kind of thing that stayed with me. And I was a little kid when that happened. Uh, but so much of Calvin and Hobbes is that it's, it's being in the snow, it's being in the warm, it's interacting with people in really physical ways, being dirty. And, uh, it's great. I love it. All right. Uh, I will just say if you like like that concept of, of what it's like to be a kid and like also the inability of adults to try and re-enter it, but also that wonderful invitation when you have your own kids and they like say, play with me in this way. And it takes you back. Uh, Steven Tobolowski, who's an actor, he has a book called the dangerous animals club. And the first chapter is all about that. Like him remembering what it was like to be a kid. And then also this magical day when his kids asked him to play the same way that he played when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I dropped everything <laughs> and ran. Um, and there's a comic in this, that's a silent Sunday strip, which is one of my favorites. I didn't put it on here, but uh, there's, there's no words. It has Calvin. Uh, it's you, you see his dad working at a desk and it's snowing outside. And Calvin comes in with his snow clothes on. And he's pointing out the window and Calvin's dad is shaking his head. No, and pointing at his work. And then Calvin's dad looks out the window and he sees Calvin building a snowman out there. And then it stays on the desk. But now you see his dad outside playing with Calvin. Uh-huh. And then, uh, I think the last uh, panel is you can tell it's nighttime outside now and the dad is sitting at work, but Calvin comes in and gives him a kiss. And it's just that, you know, that same idea of like this, like, you know, that future self that says the memory is going to be more valuable than whatever you get yeah. out of doing work that day. Yeah. All right. We got to go a little faster on these, Todd. We may just um, acknowledge a few of these and run on to the next. But the next storyline <laughs> is Yukon Ho, September 14th to the 30th, 1987. After being asked to clean his room, Calvin declares his desire to secede from his family. Packing his comic books, <laughs> a dart gun, a space helmet, and a toboggan, Calvin and Hobbes head out to the Yukon, walking through the endless woods that are always just outside their house. When Hobbes says that he's hungry, Calvin says they only have one sandwich apiece, so they should save them in case they can't catch a walrus. <laughs> and at this point, Hobbes leads a mutiny, taking the space helmet, which makes him the leader. Calvin decides to go home, but Hobbes reminds him that he has seceded from the family. Calvin regrets his decision immediately, wishing his life had a rewind and erase button, which is, I think, something we all have wished at some point. <laughs> Calvin goes home by himself, leaving Hobbes to find his own way home. At bedtime, Calvin runs out to look for Hobbes, but his parents make him go to bed, but then they go out looking for Hobbes uh, with his dad grumbling, would my dad have done this? Of course not. I wasn't spoiled like this. Uh, his mom and dad find Hobbes and bring him back to Calvin. Um, and when you look at this as 
like all of a uh, storyline of that crosses a couple weeks instead of like each funny individual entry in the story. Mm-hmm. Like it's amazing to me how much there is about family that's getting packed into this. Like the frustration yes. that Calvin feels with his family, his desire to quit. But then as soon as things get hard, he wants to go back, but then he's regretting the things that he said. And then he goes back and of course they take him in anyway. And not only do they take him back, but then they go the extra mile to sacrifice to make him happy. Uh, even though this whole story started with him quitting his family because he wasn't happy. Yeah, I don't know that I have a ton to say about this. I love the parents. If your kids ever lost something and you, you're <laughs> my daughter the other day, she lost. What did she lose? Man, she was upset. Oh, a little, a little thing of uh, lipstick, like chapstick. And she was so mad, and she was so convinced that somebody had taken it. And man, just to try to talk her off that ledge, but that losing something that's important to you when you're a child is just it's heartbreaking and as and as adult if you can't find something it can be really frustrating but eventually you real you realize okay i'm not gonna find this right now you know i'm just i'm a mess and i can't think straight but to try to convince a child to just let it let something go is so hard and i know that i've spent lots of time looking for something for my child just because i know how hard it is for them <laughs> to have that thing lost. All right, Todd, we cannot go down the rabbit hole of listing what our children have lost that we've had to spend too much time looking yeah. for. So I'm going to push us on because I am willing to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole, but we shouldn't. <laughs> I'm going to push us on. Uh, I, I just want to acknowledge uh, a Spaceman Spiff comic. This is one that stood out to me a little bit, January 16th to the 21st in 1989. Uh, and this is Calvin imagining his mom is trying uh, trying to get him to go to school is actually the alien Zogwarg queen. <laughs> and he runs away. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about this story, but it's just another one of those. It's just so fun to see these flip from one panel to the next and there's just this little gutter that separates Calvin's world and his parents world yes um, as he sees these fantastically rendered aliens that and then the next panel it's his mom standing next to him um, it's amazing and, and we had to at least acknowledge Spaceman Swift one of the great um, imaginary characters that exists inside Calvin's head All <laughs> his right. conversations with is it like <laughs> Susie Susie Durkins <laughs> 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 Because he actually, he actually misses the bus because he's, he's he, run he th- off or something. He thinks he's escaped from the prison of the alien Zogwarg queen. <laughs> and his mom chases him down and throws him in the car and, and then he's talking to Susie. And she says, your mom had to chase you? And he says, I couldn't believe it when she cleared the hedge. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Yes, uh, fantastic lines. Uh, just uh, really, listeners, if you haven't read much Calvin Hobbes, go find a collection, and you will not be disappointed. Whatever age you are, <laughs> you will not be disappointed. All right, this is one of my favorite storylines in all of Calvin Hobbes, the propeller hat. Uh, this story goes from February 27th to March 18th, uh, 1989. I guess I should call it the propeller beanie. Um, having collected four box top proof of purchases, Calvin orders a chocolate frosted sugar bomb beanie. <laughs> with a battery-powered propeller on top. He is shocked to learn he needs to allow six weeks for delivery. Calvin is overcome with anticipation. When the package finally does come, it requires some assembly and batteries are not included. While trying to assemble it, a piece breaks, and Calvin and the Hobbs have a huge fight about who broke it. Calvin's dad, though, is able to fix the broken piece, and Calvin finally dons his beanie and turns it on, but notes, I don't seem to be lifting off. This is very <laughs> peculiar. <laughs> peculiar. <laughs> Uh, furious that he can't fly with the beanie, he throws it away, but he happily tells Hobbs, at least it's not a total loss, it came with this great cardboard box. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's so much in this one <laughs> that is so true to life. Like the idea of anticipation and building up expectations that are unrealistic. Uh, but you can't help but keep building these things greater than and greater the longer that you're waiting. Um, the frustration when the piece breaks and he and Hobbs have this fight, which again, if you, you can't imagine seeing this from his parents' point of view, if they walked into his room, uh, when he and Hobbs are arguing with each other and there's this great moment where, um, Hobbs is like, well, you know, I didn't break the piece. That was all you can't, you know, you have to acknowledge this. And Calvin says, I'm trying to find the exact quote, but Calvin says, um, I know I did, but seeing as how my world's falling apart, can't you at least take a little of the blame? <laughs> so the, the first thing that I loved about this is when they're eating the cereal. <laughs> the sugar frosted cocoa bo- or chocolate bombs. That was, chocolate oh no, frosted, frosted sugar, sugar bombs. bombs. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate frosted sugar bombs. And as the, as the things go on, you see uh, Hobbs looking more and more sick to his stomach as he's, tr- he's trying to chow this down. And Calvin is getting more and more, like, jittery. He's just, like, he's, he's being lit drawn, up, shaking. He is lit up like a Christmas tree. He is so, <laughs> he is so wired from all the sugar. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And it's such, it's so great to see how, it's so true to childhood, I think, how the sugar amplifies both of their personalities. <laughs> Hobbs is so, he's kind of dour and he's, he always, kind of sees the worst in human nature and and as he eats the cereal he becomes more and more kind of depressed and calvin calvin is all adventure and excitement and energy and the more cereal that he eats the more and this there's this this one thing where you can't even recognize his face he's just it's so beautifully drawn he's shaking so much that uh, it's just awesome and he uh, he keeps trying to push the cereal onto his family members so that they'll get the four box top sooner. Yes. I love it. He says it's part of a nutritious breakfast. And Hobbs says this shows a man sitting down with four bran muffins, a dozen oranges, <laughs> <laughs> like all these other elements that are necessary to make this a healthy breakfast. Uh, yeah. So great, um, just a fantastic long form one. All right, but we're gonna run on to the next one, which is another uh, of those that's like oddly somber and serious, uh-huh. <laughs> like the. The, uh, the deeper, uh, underbelly that runs through most of these is, is a little more, uh, explicit than implicit in this one. Uh, and it's April 24th to May 11th, 1989. Calvin accidentally leaves Hobbs home while his family is going to a wedding where they'll be staying overnight. When they return, they find out the house has been broken into and Calvin is relieved to find Hobbs, but his mom and dad struggle with feeling less safe. And what, one of the things that's striking about the storyline isn't just, you get some wonderful, again, like four panels where they've got, you got to set up the, the emotion of Calvin worrying about Hobbs that he left him home, but you always get a punchline at the end that does make you smile in some way. Yeah. Even if it's like a sad smile, um, where like there's when they first get home and they find out that the house has been broken into and Calvin's running everywhere looking for Hobbs and he's, and he's like saying like, I told mom and dad, um, that we left Hobbs and I tried to get them to turn back. And now Hobbs was all alone when our house was broken into. And mom t- says that no one would have taken Hobbs because he's not very valuable. And then there's just the sad panel of Calvin sitting just dejected and exhausted from running and looking everywhere. And he just says, I think he's valuable. And like you smile, but there's a lot of emotion in that. <laughs> yeah. The thing that stood out to me again, I, th- I, th- I see a theme here, <laughs> is the mom and dad trying to yeah. process what's going on and um, 
there's four days in a row that don't have Calvin or Hobbes. It's just the mom and dad at night after they've yeah. gone home and their home's been broken into, which I can't remember any other storylines that have that much of the mom and dad without Calvin and Hobbes. And that that's almost a week's worth of strip without <laughs> the title characters yeah. appearing. It's a terrible, I mean, this is, that's a terrible feeling to have somebody break in to somebody break into our car when we were first married. It was the worst. They stole my backpack and Betty's purse. And it was like pretty much everything we owned. <laughs> it would have been better if they'd have broken into our apartment and stolen everything out of our apartment than if they stole just my backpack and her purse. And it was our anniversary. And they stole the flowers that I had bought for her for our anniversary. It was a, like, these oh, are that's low a jerk life, move. <laughs> low life criminals. criminals. <laughs> like breaking into the car and taking whatever was in the backpack and the purse. That's standard criminal behavior. But when you're taking the flowers that are sitting in the car, that is super jerk move. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't realize we came out of the restaurant and we got in the car and Betty goes, my purse. And then I look in the back seat and I go, my backpack. And then Betty starts crying and she goes, my flowers. <laughs> it's just, ah, but it's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. It's such to, a violation of like everything. Uh, yes. And to see the dad and the mom processing that, um, it definitely touched a chord with me. Uh, you know, the dad, a man's home is his castle, but it shouldn't have to be a fortress. And they're both, they're both just awake. Um, and then he says at the end, we lost a few of our nice things, but things don't matter much really. And then, uh, then or this the, is the mom saying that. Oh yeah. And the mom says, it's hard to believe how often we forget that. Uh, and... one of, one of the things that the dad says in this, in this series, um, he says, it's funny when I was a kid, I thought grownups never worried about anything. I trusted my parents to take care of everything. And it never occurred to me that they might not know how I figured that once you grew up, you automatically knew what to do in any given scenario. I don't think I'd have been in such a hurry to reach adulthood. If I'd known the whole thing was going to be ad libbed. Yeah. <laughs> Which that, I mean, completely independent of the story of, you know, what to do when your house gets broken into like that just rings true about adulthood. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. <laughs> when you're a kid, mom and dad, like, like that first one that we talked about, you don't get to be a mom if you can't fix everything. Like that's part of the expectation that you have or, or the view that you have of your parents is that they know what they're doing and they've got things figured out. But I know <laughs> as an adult, I feel like I'm faking it a good chunk of the time, be it in my professional life or in my role as a father, you know, or even as a husband, like sometimes I'm just going along the best I can, but there's no manual for this. Uh, and I don't think kids realize how much adults are having some of the same kind of lost feeling that is, is present in childhood too. We used to ask my dad, where did you learn how to do that? And he would say, dad school. <laughs> and I'd be I like, wish. I wonder where, we'll, I wonder we'll, when we'll I'll go to dad, to dad school. school. <laughs> we'll get to dad school with one of these in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, I, I have this, this thought where I think, I'm in dad school right now. Like, this is how my dad came up with this thing, or this is exactly what my dad would do. The other night we had a, it was like a family activity and I had all my kids out weeding the garden. And I was like, this is such a thing that my dad would do. Like, <laughs> Hey kids, let's go do something fun. Let's weed like, the garden. The Tom Sawyer paint the fence. We're going to make it yes. fun. <laughs> uh, dads. Um, dad. another, another comment that rung very true in this is, um, the mom and dad talking, they say, this is the sort of thing that you always think happens to someone else. And the mom just says, well, we're all someone else to someone else. <laughs> yeah. All awesome. right. Next. Moving line, on. The first meeting of gross May 15th, to June 10th. If you don't know gross, this is Calvin and Hobbes secret 
Club, that stands for Get Rid of Slimy Girls, but the S in girls is capitalized. (laughs) Uh, And when trying to find a meeting space for their new secret club, they push their mom's car out of the garage, but it keeps going down the driveway and across the street and into a ravine. Scared of the impending punishment, Calvin and Hobbes run away to the endless woods that are always near their house, and their mom finds them and tells them to come home. And then in bed that night, Calvin and Hobbes have a conversation about how inscrutable parents are in regards to punishments. <laughs> like, they expected the worst punishment of their life, but their mom and dad just kind of give them a hug and say, you're safe, the car's fine, <laughs> we got it out of the ravine. And they get a little, he says, that they just talk to us about safety and asking permission. <laughs> and then Hobbs says, but you try and keep a pair, a bunch of live worms inside your dad's. And Calvin just cuts them off and says, well, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it true though? Oh yes. I mean, this gets back to the, like the ad living of adulthood. Like I think back to some of the things that, you know, my kids have gotten, ha- had to be disciplined for, let's say. Um, and I think back to the, like, what levels of, of punishment they get. And I think one of the things that rings true about this is, like, their attitude can make a huge difference in, you know, what punishment <laughs> is going to be meted out. And my response to them, if they are clearly sorry and know they've done wrong and, are, you know, are concerned, they're going to get a different reaction than if they're very blasé and almost defiant about something that they've done. Yeah. Oh, it's so terrifying to feel like you've lost your child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's a huge part of this, too, is, like, Calvin ran away, and his, you know, his parents knew, out of fear, he's run away, and they're looking for him, and that would be so terrifying. And at some point, you just, you just are so happy to see them, that it's so, it's amazing how true to life so much of the, the emotions in all of this are. It's fantastic. But I was right. shocked when the car actually went into the ravine. That was, I was like, wow, this is really, he's really, like, committed to this story. Um, it was really, like, I thought, oh, you know, they'll, they'll push the car and it'll, you know, get a scratch or something. But no, it rolls out the back of the driveway, down the street, and into a ravine. <laughs> and then Calvin, I love when Calvin walks in the house and says, hi, mom. Hobbs and I are back. Do I have any clean clothes? I mean, I'm just wondering. I'm going to make myself a few dozen sandwiches. Uh, I'm really hungry. No need to get up or look for example out the window. Just stay where you are for another 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, he's so, he feels so bad and so guilty. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one that I had put down for us to talk about, just it's real quick. It's um, a couple times there are some soap opera style strips where they're drawn in the style. If you ever read the comics pages and you were a kid like me, there were certain ones where you just looked at the art and you moved on. Yes. <laughs> to, to, to the next one. It was like Mary Worth and I think there was like Doctor... a Rex, Rex Morgan MD or something. Yes, like that, that right? was the one. Rex okay. Morgan MD was the one that I always yeah, skipped. Yeah, where these were like long running soap opera strips that just had a different serious art style. And there are a couple times where Bill Watterson will draw that style. Uh, and again, I think this is showing his range as an artist and is really impressive, but it has the dialogue of Calvin and Susie of <laughs> <laughs> um, having a fight. So uh, how about we just do a quick reading and just imagine the most serious drawings possible. And Todd, do you have this one up? Can you? I have, um, darling, I'm home. Yes, why, why don't you, uh, which one do you want to read? Do you want to read Calvin or Susie? Um, <laughs> you, you pick. All right, I'll be Susie. And you, okay, you can be Calvin. Okay, go ahead. Darling, I'm home, and I brought a surprise. Let's hope it's a divorce. Darling, I stopped in uh, at the hospital on the way home from work. Don't call me darling, okay? I brought home our new baby. A baby? I don't want a baby! 
What shall we name him? Our baby is a rabbit? How come we have a rabbit? He's not a rabbit. He's a little boy. We'll call him Jeffrey, okay? He looks like a rabbit to me. Well, just pretend he's a baby. No, this is idiotic. I refuse. Playing house makes me sick. I'm leaving. I don't see why you'll play pretend with your dumb old tiger, but not with Mr. Bun. And the last image of the, the whole strip is Calvin storming off and Susie holding a stuffed animal rabbit. Whereas in the strip, she's petting, <laughs> wrapped up like a baby, a live rabbit when it's drawn in the serious <laughs> style. <laughs> I think the doctor one was amazing also. The doctor uh, one was my favorite of the soap opera ones. Which one was the doctor one? Oh, let's see if I can find it here. Here, let's pause it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, um, he says, hmm, for this patient, I'm going to need more tongue depressors. All right, what's wrong with you? Like, I care. And she says, my foot hurts, doctor. He says, Your foot hurts? What kind of stupid problem is that? You're the doctor. You're supposed to find out what's wrong with it. It's psychosomatic. You need a lobotomy. I'll get a saw. A lobotomy? That's not what a real doctor would say. Yeah? Who's wearing the stethoscope? You or me? <laughs> Here's a mallet. Do you want anesthesia? Well, that's <laughs> that's the test reflexes. You you don't know anything. How about a shot then? Like a shot in the mouth? That does it. I know more about medicine than you. I'll be the doctor now. Ow! Ow! Quit kicking me. See? That's why your dumb foot hurts. Stop it. <laughs> Say it! Say I'm the doctor! Okay, you're the doctor, but I'm not going to be any patient of yours. I'm leaving. Fine, good riddance. You ruin everything. And then and then Calvin's talking to Hobbs and he says, The Surgeon General should issue a warning about playing with girls. <laughs> and then Hobbs has this funny smile on his face and he says, I'd be Susie's patient. <laughs> Hobbs likes to get smooches from Susie. Oh, the lobotomy right. that when he when he uh <laughs> you need a lobotomy, I'll get a saw. Oh, man. Okay. I mean, this is a, I mean, there's so many terms that uh, Calvin throws out that no six-year-old will be able to throw right. out. Like he says, parents are really inscrutable about their punishments after the car is in the ravine. But you just read along. <laughs> it's part of the part of his world. Yeah, All right. Uh, awesome. I, I did want to touch on, uh, there's a couple strips where Calvin asks his dad questions. And his dad just makes up, keeps making up stuff until Calvin stops asking him questions. Uh-huh. Uh, so one of them is Calvin asks where the sun sets. He's like, near Flagstaff. <laughs> In Arizona. That's why it's so hot there. I was like, really? Uh, doesn't it smash the city? I thought the sun was really big. I read that somewhere. He's like, nah, it shrinks down to about the size of the quarter. Look, up in the sky right now, I could pinch the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and he, there's a, a few others uh, where his dad does this, which just, it says so much about his dad. <laughs> and then it's the funny thing is that he then goes and talks to his mom, where he'll say, like, that's not what mom told me. <laughs> and he plays them off each other. It's It's really great. All right, uh, but another great one, The Bat Report, October yes. 27th to November 4th, 1989. Calvin has to write a report about bats, but instead of doing it, he tries to get Susie to do the research for him. When she refuses, Calvin and Hobbes write down everything they know about bats, which is they are giant bugs. <laughs> That's their fact. <laughs> Calvin tells Hobbes not to worry. They don't need anything more because he has a secret weapon, a clear plastic binder. <laughs> Calvin soon learns a clear plastic binder is not the academic panacea he thought it was. I was dying during this because I have had students think. I mean, I've been through this as a teacher where a student comes up oh, and... No. Oh, man. I'm gonna get... I have a really good PowerPoint presentation, but there's absolutely no substance. But look how flashy this is. Oh, Isn't man. it great? Yeah, I've been there too, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think I've probably also been there as a student when I just tried to make something that I knew was not my best work look as good <laughs> as possible. Uh, it, so there was bats, the bat report, and then the next one was the tracer bullet. Yes, with the, another school one. Uh, that was this, fantastic. Uh, February 5th to the 10th, 1990, Calvin has a math quiz with the question, Jack and Joe leave their homes and pass each other in 10 minutes. One was driving at 60 miles per hour, the other at 30 miles per hour. How far apart were they when they started? Instead of doing the math, he becomes the Nora Detective Tracer Bullet and tries to solve this mystery. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just so intense when he's in the Tracer Bullet mode. And then his teacher, Miss Wormwood, is standing over him. And Two saps. Jack and Joe drive toward each other and at 60 and 30 miles per hour. After 10 minutes, they pass. I'm supposed to find out how far apart they started. Questions pour down like the rain. Who are these mugs? What are they trying to accomplish? Why was Jack in such a hurry? And what difference does it make where they started from? I had a hunch that before this was over, I'd be sorry I asked. All right, uh, oh, little time. Man. But Tracy Bullet is a great character. But then another great character of Calvin's is Stupendous Man. Uh, in a storyline from March 26th, April 13th, 1990, Calvin has a meltdown when he finds out his babysitter Rosalind is coming to watch him, <laughs> worrying that if Calvin gets into trouble, the consequences will be grave. He dons the costume of his alter ego, Stupendous Man, and Stupendous Man attacks his arch nemesis, Babysitter Girl. Calvin then runs upstairs and changes into his pajamas and tries to pretend that he's been there the whole time, but neither. Rosalind nor his parents believe him. She makes him. She makes him sign a confession. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what he did. <laughs> That's oh man! It's all just so perfectly timed, and that's uh, fantastic. I mean, one part of me wishes there was more Calvin and Hobbes. That Bill Watterson, you know, hadn't taken long breaks. That he <laughs> was still creating this. But another part says. Everything in here is so perfect. Maybe he's right that if he'd kept going, it would have gotten weaker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's good. Then we get more Tracer right. Bullet. Yeah, there's a little more Tracer Bullet. Uh, there's another gross storyline, but we're running a little low on time. Uh, in that one, just Calvin and Hobbes kidnap Susie's doll, Binky Betsy. In re- <laughs> retaliation, Susie kidnaps Hobbes. <laughs> and then Susie and Calvin have rapprochement when a prisoner exchange is successfully carried out. And at first, Calvin is furious with Hobbes, because Hobbes is talking about how nice it was. Susie had a tea party with him or stuff. <laughs> but then Hobbes is like, but I read a page of her journal, and Calvin's like, you were a spy! This is the best club ever! I love that she makes him his whole plan is to extort her and she ends up making him pay 25 cents to get Hobbs back (laughs) again just uh, the best laid plans in life are constantly frustrated in this series Awesome, awesome. Uh, one more example of that, the thinking cap from November 15th to December 4th, 1993. Calvin can't think of how to approach his homework assignment where he's <laughs> supposed to debate both sides of a complex issue. His side is always right, so what's there to debate about anything? Um, Hobbes helps him build a thinking cap that magnifies his in- intellect, and Calvin prepares to write about whether di- uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes were predators or scavengers, but the effects of his thinking cap wear off just as it's time to actually do the homework. So he spends the whole <laughs> afternoon building this thinking cap and going on this adventure with the thinking cap, and then right as he's about to write, the, the effects wear off and his mom comes in and says it's bedtime, and he's like, but I haven't done my homework! <laughs> uh, this is so... I mean, everybody struggles with time management stuff, but kids, man, to try to explain to a child, if you just do this thing right now, it will take you 10 minutes, and you'll have three hours to play. 
it's just it's a complete exercise in futility to try yes. to under, <laughs> to try to teach a child a six year old the like the economics of time. It's just, it just doesn't work at all. Well, Todd, and if you're like me, to try and exercise appropriately the economics of time is also a struggle. As an adult? Yes. I don't know yeah. if you've ever done the adult version of building a thinking cap instead of actually doing, you know, writing the paper you have yes, to write I or have. doing the grading you've got to write, be it social media or suddenly, like, this book that I bought that's an academic theory book that I haven't had time to read. It becomes really interesting when I've got a pile of student papers yes. to create. It's like, maybe I could read a chapter of that. And I'm like, I need a new app. That's what I, that's what I do. I'm like, oh, how could I possibly write this paper in this text editor? I need a new one. So I'm going to go research all of them and find the perfect one. Uh, yeah, I wish that never happened. All right. And then finally, the last one that I had us uh, read, the very last Calvin and Hobbes comic from December 31st. Uh, 1995, which, uh, mostly is them in this freshly snow covered world, Calvin and Hobbes together. And the last two panels are just Calvin saying to Hobbes, it's a magical world, old buddy. And then they go sledding down this almost pristine white panel. And it says, let's go exploring, which we've mentioned a lot about this kind of somber underbelly, but I think there's also this undeniable spark of magic and imagination that comes from just yes. stopping the serious stuff and going and exploring. And the world is going to be full of wonder and amazement. And there's so much joy to be found, even as we are struggling with some of the, you know, the, the more serious things, be it death, you know, that we've already talked about this, this series, yeah. uh, dealing with, be it, um, the struggles of parenting or, uh, the responsibilities of parenting versus, yeah, or, or the responsibilities of being an adult. Like all of those things are here and also serious things like time management, which can be fun to see Calvin struggle with, but it is a real issue that so many people struggle with. But I think there's also the major message of this is that the world is magical if you allow it to be. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, it's so, there's something so hopeful in that let's go exploring. Um, and the, there, as we pointed out, like there is something somber in this kind of existential struggle, you know, to try to make it through life. And I think it's one of the great things about Tracer Bullet is that he, he just dives you know, with both feet into, into that noir world. <clears throat> but, uh, all of the tough, uh, despite all of the tough things that he has to go through, um, there is this sense of wonder and adventure at, at, that I think is at the heart of Calvin in a way that's different from, like, if you think about Charlie Brown, I don't think it, it, his heart is adventure and wonder. <laughs> Snoopy's is a little bit more. Snoopy has the kind of internal life that Calvin uh -huh. has, but um, Charlie Brown, absolutely not. <laughs> there's a fantastic, if, if, if people are listening to this and they really do like Calvin and Hobbes, there is a really great Argentine comic strip called Mafalda. Um, and it, it shares so much with Calvin and Hobbes, but she's even more, um, she's less imaginative and more kind of serious philosophical. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. But, but I just, this is such a perfect ending to this story. It's hard to imagine how, how to end this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I thought when, as I was reading and knowing that I was going to come up to the end and, and see this, you know, the final, it's so interesting to, for me, 
like uh, the final episode of Seinfeld or the final episode of Lost or, you know, so much that goes into that final, the final image, the final story that you're going to tell and what's the last thing that people are going to take away as they walk away from this. And this was such a perfect way to end this, I thought. I loved it. Yeah. Um, and like uh, famously, the last uh, Peanuts comic strip, that was uh, like, it, it showed Snoopy at a typewriter, but then it had a type message from Charles Schultz kind of talking about like how wonderful it's been to be able to make these characters and to have them mean so much to so many people and to have interactions with fans. Uh, it's been all centered at it, but that's kind of what I remember it as. But this one is, I think, just pure Calvin and Hobbes. And I think just distills, again, that hopefulness that is present in all the imagination that we see, be it Stupendous Man or Trace of Bullet or um, Spaceman Spiff. Like there's this kind of joy even as they're getting out of hard things by escaping into imagination. <laughs> um, and I think that's really an important message, like this idea. And also, I've mentioned several times that, um, you know, Jamie Haidt argued that there's this kind of underlying message that your best plans are probably not going to work out. That happens over and over in Calvin and Hobbes. But the final word on this isn't to go make plans, it's to just go explore the world. Yeah. Uh, and that's where a lot of uh, the best things are going to be found. Awesome. I love it. Well, do you have any anything else, or should we wrap it up? I, I'd say let's wrap it up. I do also just want to give one last shout-out to I love the uh, snowman comics from Calvin and Hobbes. Whatever he builds, his crazy snowman. Uh, <laughs> it's just a chance for Bill Watterson to do some fantastic drawings, and I think it's ex- inspired a lot of kids uh, every winter. <laughs> the Calvin and Hobbes snowman. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation uh, by clicking on the support link on our homepage, or you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like a regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchase. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look... Did you guys start your garage band over again? No. No. Did you? Okay, good. No.